0: Father Mitch Packard, welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. Tonight, we'll talk about a member of the Communist Party who admits that she tried to destroy the Catholic Church from within by filling seminaries with communist sympathizers. We'll also hear about her eventual conversion to the Catholic faith under the guidance of Venerable Fulton Sheen. But before we get to that discussion, we want to talk briefly with EWTN's Peter Gagnon about our special Holy Week programming and live events. Peter, what have you got in store for us?
1: Yes, yeah, so um, we always call Holy Week the week that changed the world, and mm-hmm. our programming reflects that. Um, we'll talk about live events. We have live events from Rome, from the Holy Land, from Washington D.C. Liturgies that are really beautiful, and also from here. Um, and one of the events we're doing this year, which is brand new, is a event from the local Maronite Church, mm-hmm. and it's called the Rite of the Lamp. Um, you're going to be partaking in that event, yes, and uh, yes. that's going to air in place of EWTN Live during yes. Holy Week. I don't know if you want to mention something about what. That event is. Yeah,
0: it's it's a service that is done on Wednesday of Holy Week, in which there's a blessing of oil. It's a series of blessings, and then people are anointed with that oil. It's a sacramental. And it is uh, a, an anointing to pray for the sick. So this is a, a focus on praying yeah. for the sick, but so a series of very beautiful prayers and hymns.
1: Yeah, and we like to present um, Eastern Rite Liturgies whenever we can yes. in the opportunity. So uh, look for that on Wednesday. And then we also have a lot of specials, specials with the friars in the Holy Land, specials on the Shroud, and also specials for children. So the friar has a has an Easter Triduum, specials as well, and uh, my time with Jesus, so uh, our audience should go to EWTN.com forward slash Holy Week, and then there's a special programming button you can click on, and there's also a lot of other information on that on that particular webpage. so EWTN.com forward slash Yeah,
0: uh, that's a great source mm-hmm. to look at. Thank you, Peter.
1: Appreciate mm-hmm. it. We'll be back in just a
0: couple of minutes with tonight's guest, so please stay with us. Our guest tonight is one half of a team of authors and researchers who have probed the depths of a fascinating story of a woman born Catholic but turned communist, and who allegedly helped over a thousand communist sympathizers to infiltrate Catholic seminaries. Here to tell us more about her life. Of subversion and the eventual reignition of her conscience that led her back to her Catholic faith is the co author of a book entitled The Devil and Bella Dodd One Woman's Struggle Against Communism and Her Redemption. So please welcome the executive director of the Institute for Faith and Freedom and political science professor at Grove City College. Dr. Paul Kengor. Dr. Kengor,
2: welcome. So good to have you with us again. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Father Mitch. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, Just so our audience knows, I think there's a little bit of a delay uh, between us, so that sometimes our response will just be a little slower. So that's just so folks understand. Um, One of the things I want to start off with, you uh, you already presented a book about the devil and Karl Marx, and that's different than the devil and Bella Dodd. What, why is it the devil and Bella Dodd?
2: Well, it's a a good question. And the the first book, The Devil and Karl Marx, so that had been through TAN books. And uh, they were—they were wondering if there could be a (laughs) follow-up along that same theme. And I said, well, there's only one story of The Devil and Karl Marx. And in Marx's case, Marx had this really kind of chilling fascination with the devil, which he wrote about mm-hmm. in poems. He wrote some, some really rather chilling poems. He, he, had, he had a favorite quote, Father Mitch, from, from Goethe's from Faust. It was the Mephistopheles character, the demon, devil character. And that is, everything that exists deserves to perish. Now, if, if somebody asks you or I if we have a favorite quote, we might give them a scripture verse. A quote from a saint, uh, be not afraid, something like that. But with Marx, it, it was this quote from the Mephistopheles character in Goethe's Faust, right? Everything that exists deserves to perish. Yes. So, so Marx had this real dark side, and he maintained that his entire life, his entire career. Through the ideology, the publishing of the Communist Manifesto in 1848, all the way until his death in 1883. A very unhappy death, a very miserable death, uh, you know, right up until the time that, that his partner Ingalls quoted Darwin in the eulogy for, for Marx at, at, at his funeral. Now, in the case of Bella Dodd, uh, I said to the folks at TAN, I, I said, well, Uh, Mary Nicholas, my partner Mary Nicholas, she she wants to publish this biography on Bella Dodd. And Bella Dodd has a story here, too. In fact, she described her battle against communism as a battle against the devil, Mm -hmm. to try to extricate herself from the tentacles, the grip of Satan. And she even said later on—she you know, was asked, you know, who is the head of this international conspiracy of communism? Now you would think the answer to that from an ex-communist would have been, well, Stalin, right? Kremlin, Khrushchev, uh, the Soviet Comintern, Moscow. She said, no, the head of this international conspiracy is Lucifer, is Lucifer. So, so you know, for her, this was a battle against what, what her church. The Roman Catholic Church and the encyclical Divini Redemptoris in 1937 called the Satanic Scourge of Communism, Pope Pius XI said, orchestrated by the sons of darkness. So in contrast to Karl Marx, the Marx story is dark and grim, dispiriting, despairing, all the way to the very end. But as we'll talk about today, Bella Dodd's story, it has a happy ending because she breaks away from that, she finds redemption, she comes back to the church of her youth, and she found it through a very special priest, um, through the help of a very special priest named Bishop Fulton Sheen.
0: Now, let's want to get to her story here. She was born in Italy, correct? Correct. Yeah, and so, she i would assume that she was a baptized catholic being born in italy and then immigrating to the united states what made her interested in atheistic communism
2: well and in fact with uh, when fulton sheen and she was eventually baptized at, uh, well, well, she was taken into the church at St. Patrick's Cathedral, April 7, 1952. And uh, they couldn't find records, but they assumed that she was baptized in her native Pacerno, Italy, where she was born in 1904. So, she had this very Catholic upbringing, this lovely upbringing. Her—a lot of her family left Italy to go to the United States. She was left behind for a little while, where she was taken care of by, by an aunt and an uncle. The uncle was a literal shepherd. And she just had this beautiful, almost seemingly—this idyllic, almost utopian upbringing in, in Italy. And then she came to New York at the age of four or five. She was very precocious. Her older siblings were amazed at how quickly she picked up the English language, how quickly she learned to write. She goes to school, public school, did very, very, very well, but she very quickly got sucked into the whole socialist milieu in New York. And New York became the home of Communist Party USA. It was the home of the daily worker. We quote in the book a 1948 FBI document that noted that of the roughly 60,000 people in the United States who were members of the Communist Party, uh, half of them, half of them were from New York City alone. So, so you have you know, half from New York City and all the half from the, you know, the remaining 99.99999 percent of square mileage in the, in the United States. So, so she got sucked into that pretty quickly by her public school. And then where she really went down that road was when she went off to college. And, and it was really two colleges, Hunter College which is on the Upper East Side of, uh, of, of New York City. In fact, there's a wonderful church, St. Vincent Ferrer, which is a Dominican-run church on the Upper East Side, mm-hmm. kind of right down the street from, from Hunter College. But, but she went to Hunter College, and she also went to Columbia. And Columbia was really a hotbed. That's where John Dewey was, Professor John Dewey. That's where Whitaker Chambers became a communist. It's where Thomas Merton— Became a communist for for a time, anyway, and, and Merton writes about that in the Seven Story Mountain. But but it was uh, it was it was her schooling that uh, that pulled her into the communist movement and communist ideology. And it's very interesting
0: that it, when she's going to Colum- Columbia University, that this was not a place for the. Uh, lower classes, or the proletariat, the working classes. It was then, as now, a place for the elite. You know, wealthier people, some on scholarship, of course, but it'd be wealthier folks who can afford to go to a place like that, and yet they go for a communist system of thought that is atheist, And socialist and they want to destroy America that's and this is one of the very important things about her she wants to destroy America and the party does and uh, and just like Marx had said in quoting Mephistopheles he wants to see it destroyed and then uh, a communist place built up very interesting that it's these wealthier folks at college who want to do that.
2: Yeah, and that's often the case. In fact, if, 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 if anybody's ever been in this area that I talk about, Hunter College, it's right next to this beautiful home that Eleanor Roosevelt and FDR had. It's, there are brownstones all over the place. I call them brownstone Bolsheviks, all right? It's, it, 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 Madison Avenue is literally right there. I mean, you know, the Madison Avenue, with all the stores and, and, and you know, fashion stores and, and, and so forth. But, but, but there's, you know, there's nothing new about that. Uh, you know, Vladimir Lenin, in his 1902, one of his more classic writings, it's called What Is To Be Done which was published in ICSRA, which, which was known as The Spark. It was a, a communist publication. He talked about how what was needed was a revolutionary vanguard of kind of theoretical communists who would raise the consciousness of the proletariat, right? So the proletariat, the people who were working in the factories, working on the farms, you know, they were seen as the kind of—well, you know, Marx, Marx called a lot of these people the lumpen, Proletariat. They had a very demeaning view of the masses that they wanted to represent. And they felt that the masses needed to be enlightened. And who could enlighten them? But, uh, none other but the anointed, the people from the universities. And to this day, Father Mitch, I, I mean, the—fast-forward uh, to late 1960s, the weather underground. Mark Rudd went to Columbia University, Bill Ayers who was the son of a very wealthy um, Chicago investor—you know, they, they call these guys limousine leftists, mansion Marxists. They came from money. They came for money, and oftentimes it's the poorer folks, the poorer kids. Rudd talked about going into the streets of Pittsburgh and Chicago and Cleveland to try to to try to preach the the, the, the gospel, the doctrine of Marxism-Leninism, to the greasers, as they called them. And the greasers were these working class kids, these you know Catholic Poles and Catholic Italians in Pittsburgh and Chicago who would beat up <laughs> these the, these guys from the Ivy League and say, "Get out of here! We don't want your." Communism, right? You know, we we want to we want to go to work. We want to make something of ourselves. We want to we want our own property. We want to buy our own houses. Uh, we want to make some money. We want to live the American dream. So yeah, it it it's it's often, if not, I mean, typically, frequently, usually, uh, the the educated classes that are that are leading these revolutionary movements. I mean, look right now, the 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 kind of culturally based the Marxism today that's being applied to culture to race, to ideology, and other areas. It's all coming out of the universities. It is not coming from the factory floor and from the AFL-CIO and the coal miners, all right? It's, it's coming from the universities, what yeah. Bella Don and the others call the education front. And tell
0: us a little bit about what she did after she graduated. What kind of work
2: did she actually do? So she taught for a little while, and she loved teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a professor there at Hunter named Sarah Parks, who was an English professor, and she really kind of mentored Bella Dodd and, and really radicalized her. By the way, the, the story of Sarah Parks is very sad and not unusual. She ends up depressed, kind of despairing. Communism proves to be, for her, you know, the god that failed, and she ended up taking her own life. She ended up committing suicide. But uh, Bella Dodd ends up going closer and closer to the communist movement, eventually working for the party. And then after doing what a lot of the party people do, which is formally deny that you're a member or also work for the party, but don't join the party. That way, if you're asked if you're a party member, you can say that you're not. Uh, she eventually joined and became an open-card-carrying communist. And, mm-hmm. and her goal was to organize the teachers, the teachers, the teachers, the teachers. There was a 10,000-member New York State Teachers Union. And this is amazing. And she, she wrote about this, Bella did, in her memoir, School of Darkness. She testified on it before Congress. She said that she placed anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 Communist Party members in the New York State Teachers Union. Now think about those numbers, 1,000 to 1,500 actual Communist Party members inside a 10,000-member union. She had, in May Day 1936, Bella Dodd had 500 Communist teachers marching in New York City. So she, she was this master organizer. Infiltrator. She also organized the Longshoremen Union. She was running these campaigns to smear different members of the state legislature in New York to smear people like Congressman Hamilton Fish. Uh, all of which is going to get us closer to I know, one of the things we want to talk about. So when the when the when the Communist Party, which was already infiltrating the Episcopal Church, the United Methodist Church, uh, the Presbyterian Church, and there's testimony on that from. Manning Johnson, Ben Gitlow, Louis Boudins, Herb Philbrick, all kinds of people under oath. When the party turned to Bella Dodd and, and said, uh, hey, do you think you could help us place a bunch of communist men in Catholic seminaries? And according to her, the number was about 1,000. And at that point in America, there were about 30,000 priests and probably 20,000 men in seminary. By the mid-'60s, there were 60,000 priests. So, in Bella Dodd's mind, she's thinking, 1,000 out of 30,000? I mean, I just placed 1,000 to a 1,500 in the 10,000-member New York State Teachers Union. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's easy. That's a cinch. So, so, to somebody like her, that would have been considered uh, very feasible and at least something that she would have been willing to try to do. And so, folks understand the purpose
0: of this. I'd like to give a quote from Manning Johnson, uh, he, and he was—he had been a communist also, correct?
2: Correct, yeah. He was a, a leading um, African-American communist. He's really a hero of mine. I mean, there, should be, there should be a book, a documentary film done on this guy. And he was—one uh, of the things that really got to him about the communist movement was he, he clung to his faith his Baptist faith, and as he knew, you know, you couldn't be, and the party told them this, you know, you could not be a religious person, a Christian, and be a member of the Communist Party. So his faith was one of the things that really um, prompted him to to leave the party for good. But I know the quote. good. This is a great quote that you're going to share.
0: He gave testimony before the House of Representatives Committee on Un-American Activities in 1953, and I quote, It is an axiom in the communist organization strategy that if an infiltrated body has 1% Communist Party members and 9% Communist Party sympathizers with well-rehearsed plans of action, they can effectively control the remaining 90%. This was her strategy, That's correct? Right.
2: That's exactly right. And Bella Dodd said the same thing. And I've talked to people about the infiltration, the alleged infiltration of the priesthood. And, and they say, a thousand communist men in Catholic seminaries. And I, I said, look, 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 you try to place a thousand. If you get only a hundred through... That's a success. <laughs> you. You, you, you know you're not going to get a 1,000 through, especially—I mean, they had an easier time with uh, Protestant seminaries. I quote uh, Earl Browder, one of the first uh, leaders of Communist Party USA, speaking to Union Theological Seminary in December 1935, which is a very left-wing uh, Protestant seminary in, in New York. And he said, mm-hmm. you might be surprised to know that we have ministers preachers, ordained ministers who are actual Communist Party members. Not sympathetic, but members. Now, that's shocking because—now, because, those have got to be wolves in sheep's clothing, because you're not supposed to be a, a, a religious person and, 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 be, and be a party member. But, uh, but knowing that they could get—they were able to do that a little easier in the Protestant churches. But as Bella Dodd and others would, would, would later say, uh, the, to, to actually get somebody through a Catholic seminary is much more difficult. There's the discernment process. I mean, you've got to— uh, you've got to be evaluated many, many, many times at many different levels. I quote Blessed Solanus Casey, talking about, uh, oh, yeah, red infiltration. Yeah, we, we know about that. I, I know about these cases. And you know, these are very disciplined and very smart young men that they try to send through. But uh, you know, usually they're figured out at, at, at some point. So most of them don't go all the way through. But if you could just get—you don't need a 1,000. If you could get 100, if you could get 1% in the right places, in the right spots, they can control the organization. And something else that Bella Dodd found about the, about the New York State Teachers Union once they had 1,000 to 1,500 members of the New York State Teachers, out of 10,000, about 5,000 of the overall membership bolted. They said, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. The communists are running this thing. I have no voice. I try to change this. I try to fix this. I'm told that I'm crazy. I'm talking to my senator, my state rep, about this. I'm out of here. And so they it's easier for them to hijack and take over an organization. And Father Mitch, I don't know if you've seen this. I've seen this many times in my life where an element like that will come into a very solid traditional organization and start hijacking it. And the people <coughs> who should stay in and reclaim and take back the organization, they get so dispirited and fed up with it. They leave. Yeah. They leave. And then the organization is taken over it falls. See, and, uh, and the communists are shrewd, they realize that, and they're willing to fight and do it.
0: No, I've seen that
2: many times. As a matter
0: of fact, we're seeing it go on in a number of places. Um, uh, I've, I've been talking to members of uh, the, the clergy members of one of the denominations where the bishops of that denomination refused to obey the rules that they had already voted in. And as a result, um, people said, we're not going to stay here because you are no longer following the regulations of our church, the, the, the discipline, the book of discipline in our church. So we're leaving. and uh, And they don't go out together in one group they end up splitting into a number of smaller groups and the main church is now had, I know here in Alabama, that particular denomination has already, is losing half of its parishes. Half of them disassociated. Right, right. But yeah. they don't stay together. And this is that's and that's right. just one example, but there'd be and this goes on uh, in lots of places. Instead of people saying, no, I'm not the one that's going to leave. I'm going to stay here and be faithful to Jesus Christ and His church and the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's where we have to, I think, find a, a real adulthood as men and women that we will stay. And sometimes we, I think people have to do it quietly. Uh, there, there may not, you know, sometimes there's moments for confrontation, sometimes for being. Uh, I, I oftentimes think of Rick's Cafe in Casablanca, where every hmm. so often you belt out right, the Marseillaise. Right. In our case, it'd be belting out the Tantumerigo. <laughs> and, you know, but we have to <laughs> say <laughs> that we are not going to be destroyed, we're going to stay with Jesus.
2: Yeah. Well, and 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 when you leave, then the bad guys win, and and the other guys they're they're standing there saying, oh well, it's just a shame that you're gonna leave. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. So that that's that's how they take it over, and oftentimes uh, that other side is more willing to fight, and and then our side wants just peace. We don't want to get up in the morning and fight these cultural battles and other things. But the other side, they get up in the morning, and that's their mission. That's their crusade. Uh, you know, that, that's what they're devoted yeah. to. One of the things that Bill—I uh, 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 f- I forget his name right now.
0: Uh, one of the leaders of the American Communist Party said that you, we will not use the words Communist Party or Socialism but we will use liberal and progressive as a way to get the agenda out without the title of socialist or communist. We'll just get the agenda done. And they are absolutely committed to agendas like destroying the family. This is one of the big issues that Marx and Engels wrote about in the Communist Manifesto, and Bella Dodd was
2: someone who pushed this agenda. Well, that's exactly right. In fact, the person you're referring to, Alexander Trachtenberg, who yes, was the, Trachtenberg. The, the head of the GPU in the United States, and, and Bella Dodd quotes him three or four times in in her book, in her memoirs and various speeches. And he told her—he said, words like socialist and communist, they have been speared too much. He didn't say smeared. He said speared too much. He said, we need words that are more palatable, that sound better, like progressive and liberal and progressive democracy. He said, you know, those words are more acceptable to the American people. And, and and he said and she said when socialism comes to America, it'll come under more benign titles like progressive democracy. And, uh, and, and that's, that's exactly what they did. Bella Dodd said, oh, democracy. They use that word all the time, democracy, 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 democracy. And, and, and they did. And she said, when, when they talk about democracy, they mean what they call economic democracy. In fact, Lenin, in, in his writing The State and Revolution, says, we support democracy. And people listening probably say, Lenin supported democracy? And he said, yes, democracy means equality. And for them, that meant economic equality, wealth redistribution. So they would use these words, and they would even—they they called their communist schools around the country. One of them, one of the teachers—the one in Chicago, uh, a music teacher there was Frank Marshall Davis, the mentor to Barack Obama. I wrote a book called The Communists, about Frank Marshall Davis. These schools were called the Lincoln schools. The, the Lincoln schools, right? Lincoln was a, was a Marxist? The, the, the international brigade that went to Spain to fight for, on the side of uh, the communists during the Civil War called themselves the Abraham, Abraham Lincoln Brigade. When, when they changed the name of Bella School, the communist school in, in, in New York, they called it the Jefferson School. The Jefferson School, all right. So and they would identify all the time with the American founding fathers. Oh yeah, we're just like the founders. They were revolutionaries, so are we. So so they would hide. They were very deceptive, terribly, terribly deceptive. They were they were they were not honest about these labels. Now one thing they were quite open about, as as you said, Father Mitch, the family. Right, the war on the family, and in the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels rail against what they call the bor- the bourgeois claptrap. They call it the disgusting bourgeois claptrap about the hallowed correlation between parent and child. So, so they 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 thought, you know, this is not a hallowed. Cor- our, our church teaches. The relationship between parent and child is hallowed, <laughs> right? That, you know, that, that's not claptrap. That, you know, this, this is special. But, but they, they tried to separate parents from children. Point 10 in the Communist Manifesto called for free education for all children in public schools. And one of the things that—you're that, uh, probably going to ask me this—that really turns Bella Dodd against the party was she said that she longed for children. She ached for children. She came from a big Italian family, and she said, the comrades dissuaded me. They did not want me to have children. Whitaker Chambers talked about when he and his wife, when, when she got pregnant, he was going to do the communist thing and, and have an abortion, tell her to have an abortion. Alger Hiss, uh, who Whitaker Chambers exposed, his wife, Priscilla Hiss, never had a child because her first, first pregnancy with Alger Hiss— she had an abortion, and it must have damaged her fertility. Yeah. So communists were doing abortion. One of the first things the Bolsheviks did in Russia in 1920 was fully legalized abortion. Yeah. So they were way ahead of everybody in the West in this regard. And that attack on the family, sanctity of human life, it really affected Bella Dodd. Yeah, uh, Paul, I'm afraid that we have to take a break. Uh, But we
0: will come back in just a couple minutes, so we ask everyone to stay with us and we continue on with this conversation. Welcome back. We are speaking with Dr. Paul Kengor about his book, The Devil and Bella Dodd, One Woman's Struggle Against Communism and Her Redemption. And this was written by Mary A. Nuclos and Dr. Paul Kengor. You can get a copy of this book by going to EWTNRC.com. That's our religious catalog website, and there it is, item number three one nine three. Okay, so Paul, let's—I'd like to get to a couple things more about Bella, and this is uh, a fascinating uh, subject. But we, I'd like to get to a caller that we have uh, from New York, uh, Harry. Harry, are you there? I certainly am. Hello, Father Mission Paul. Thank you. Good to have you. Uh, what's your Bye. question for uh, Dr. Kengor?
2: My question is, thanks
0: to your EWTN video, The Sheep in um, Wolf's Clothing, I heard about Bella Dodd. So I'm so happy to hear that hear you're talking about her again tonight. My question is, in the last 50 years, did they ever trace the seminarians that she infiltrated into the seminaries into the sexual problems of the church, and the financial problems, will they have a trace to that?
2: Well, what's well, a good question, and, you know, one of the things that I'm frequently asked about her story is, you know, where are these infiltrators, whatever became of them? Now she told—Bella Dodd told Alice von Hildebrand— and Dietrich von Hildebrand. Now, Alice was on EWTN forever, right, Father Mitch? Oh, she, she I interviewed died, her many um, times. January 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she told a number of other people that um, that there were four cardinals in the in the church, and this would have been in the 60s, that were um, at, at least on their side, pro-communist or communist sympathizers. And that's not to say that those four had come up through the ranks of that alleged infiltration of the seminaries. But, uh, but, but I think, generally, you can, you can see some of the, the results of that infiltration, maybe, and just a sort of a general influence of some of those ideas and doctrines like liberation theology. Right? In, in the 70s and in, and in the 1980s. So I think one of the more difficult things about this whole issue, and it frustrates people, even researchers like myself and, and, Mary, and Mary Nicholas, is you really want to know, who were these guys? Who are they? Give us some names. Who are these people? And, and now, a key part of this, Bella Dodd said—and she told this to Alice, and uh, my co-author, Mary Nicholas, interview, interviewed Alice for the book. Um, Fulton Sheen had forbidden, had forbidden Bella Dodd to name names. He, he told her, he said, this is, this is scandalous, you know, this is really bad, and I don't see anything good in naming names. And she said to him, she, she said, she said, Bishop Sheen, I feel like I should enter the most penitential order on the planet and spend the rest of my life on my knees, making reparation for my sins. And he said, no, but this is what I want you to do. I command you to go out and tell the world about the dangers of communism. I don't want you naming names, right? But but warn the world of the dangers of communism. And this was something, incidentally, that Pope Pius XI and XII both told Sheen as well. They said, with your American audience, with Life is Worth Living, your television show, your radio broadcast.'" You know, go out, learn about communism, learn it up and get down, go tell the world about it. He wrote books like Communism and the Conscience of the West, um, which, by the way, we just reissued at tan. It was published in 1948. Uh, Peace of Soul, uh, all kinds of other books where, um, where he sought to teach the world about communism. So, I'm sorry, it's a little bit of a, of a long a- answer to your question, but that was the route that Bella ended up taking, and being a, um, a very courageous witness, I think kind of like a female Whitaker Chambers. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is really a great story that Catholics should know about. Yeah, I, I think
0: that that's right. And uh, I would just add this, too. Uh, you know, we, EWTN is expanding into a number of other countries one of which is Poland, and so we have EWTN Polska. And there, the the most popular materials that have been translated from English to Polish, they do their own Polish broadcasting, but the most popular translations from English are Archbishop Sheen's programs, Life is Worth Living. Hmm. Because they lived under communism. They know exactly what he's talking about. They recognize it. They lived it. They suffered under it. And they said, that man is telling the truth. And this is a very
2: important thing. Yeah. Go ahead. And he had, he had such brilliant insights. He You know, yes. he, he found Marx—phrases from Marx, like, communism begins where atheism begins. And that's a phrase that a lot of people—from Marx that a lot of people didn't know about. They know about religion is the opiate of the masses and so right. forth, the heart of heartless condi- the soul of soulless conditions, heart of a heartless world. And Sheen had clever phrases like, uh, Christians should take heart in the fact that uh, Christ's tomb is empty, but Lenin's tomb is not. And, and he talked about how communism represented the mystical body of, of the serpent, of the Antichrist. So he talked in this, this very strong language, but he understood it so well. He exactly. really knew this, and few could articulate it as uh, eloquently as Fulton Sheehan. He was brilliant. Yep. And I would change... Uh, uh The
0: statement of Marx. When you look at the way so many of our progressive politicians are legalizing drugs, I would now say that they are making opiates the opium of the people. Can I show?
2: uh, Let let me show a little bit of. You know, know, uh, go ahead. What well, Sheen said that um, he said communism is is the is the opiate of the intellectuals. Yes. And and there was also another writer named Raymond Raymond Aaron who who uh, wrote a, wrote a book about the, the opium of the intellectuals and that was communism, Marxism, Leninism. And at this point, they want to make drugs and sex
0: into the opiate of the people, so they can manipulate them better. I'd like to show a clip from Archbishop Fulton Sheen. So let's take a look at that real quickly.
3: Communists are right in saying this world needs a revolution, but not their cheap kind, which merely transfers booty and loot out of one man's pocket into another. We need the kind of a revolution in the United States and in the rest of the world that will purge out of a man's heart pride and covetousness and lust and anger and envy and gluttony and sloth. In other words, the true battle against communism begins within the heart of every single American. It means the recovery of our own great tradition, of our belief in God, of an affirmation in politics and in economic life, and among our politicians of the things that are right and true before God. Then we need not fear communism, for if God is with us, then who can be against us?
0: God love you. And you see that that battle is on right now, that trying to keep God and His commandments out of public discourse is a battle that continues to go on. And whether they're communists or not, it serves the same purpose. Now, Paul, let me take uh, another questioner we have in our studio audience, if you don't mind. So, uh, sir, where are you from? From uh, Newark, Delaware, Father. Great. Good to have you. And what is your question?
1: Uh, Well, as a... 70-year-old child of network news, when I think of that period in the 50s, I think of Senator McCarthy, who was painted with a pretty dark brush. But now, listening to your guest, it makes me think that maybe he was on to something. So I'd like to hear what his opinions are about Senator McCarthy and that whole other side of the story.
2: Yeah. So, so Senator McCarthy, uh, look, he, he may have, uh, his methods might have been questionable, and he might have exaggerated and engaged in some hyperbole, and, you know, we, we know all of that. That's a common take on him. But, uh, but in his assertions that there were communists throughout the U.S. government at every level, from, you know, Congress to the White House to the different departments, it's very, very true. And not just people like Alger Hiss, but people like uh, Harold Halware Ware at the Department of Agriculture under FDR. Harry Dexter White at the Treasury Department, um, Harry Hopkins, who some people think is, is Agent 19 in the Venona Papers. Uh, that's people debate that, but at the very least, Harry Hopkins, who was so close to to FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt that he actually lived at the White House, actually slept at the White House. He was at the very least duped. So uh, you know, McCarthy McCarthy knew what was going on, and 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 people like. Um, our first Catholic president, John F. Kennedy. The Kennedy family was very close to Joe McCarthy. Uh, RFK worked for McCarthy, uh, admired McCarthy. When McCarthy died, RFK gave the, his entire office the, the the rest of the day off, flew out to Wisconsin, and literally wept at his at his tomb, at his gravesite. McCarthy's uh, Joe McCarthy is the godfather to RFK's oldest daughter. RFK had 10 or 11 kids. His oldest daughter, uh, Joe McCarthy, was was the godfather. McCarthy dated one of the Kennedy girls. He used to hang out at Hyannisport with the Kennedy family. And so it's no coincidence here that you know, he too was a strong um, Catholic anti-communism, and his Catholicism was a big part of that. And, and I think too that, that if, if there wasn't McCarthy, Uh, These folks would have found their McCarthy in somebody else. And you just go back. They were attacking Martin Dyes, the, the Texas Democrat of the Dyes Committee. They were attacking Hamilton Fish, the Republican from New York. That's who Bella Dodd went after. They were attacking Woodrow Wilson's attorney, General Alexander Mitchell Palmer. The Fighting Quaker. Google Alexander Mitchell Palmer, and it says that he orchestrated the first Red Scare in the United States. So, so no matter who it is that's going after these guys, you know, it's a paranoid red, red under every bed, over the top. Uh, so they, they said it about McCarthy, they said it about all the others. Uh, it, it's, um, it, it's 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 not the full picture. Now, one of the things that. Uh,
0: Thank you for that, by the way. Um, One of the things that we see how she promoted communism, what led to her conversion and to being kicked out
2: of the Communist Party? So, she really, she found out, Father Mitch, just about all the lies, all the deception. All these different things weighed on her, and she she sought to get out of the party. And anybody who tried to get out of the party, they called them Judas goats. That's what the party called them, Judas goats, stool pigeons, betrayers. They wanted to expel you. They wanted to kick—this was like an excommunication. So we open the book in chapter one where Bella Dodd is at her apartment and she gets a call from an Associated Press reporter. And the reporter says, "Um, Dr. Dodd, this is the Associated Press. We have a statement from the party saying that you've been expelled. It says that you are um, anti-Semitic, anti-Negro, anti-Puerto Rican, (laughs) pro-fascist, pro-Nazi, just on down the list. Right. It's the same playbook that they use now. Right, the same accusations. Right, uh, <laughs> racist, it, anti-Semitic, Nazi—just on down the list. It bog. You know, when I read that
0: in your book, what they accused her of being, as a way to you know say we got rid of her because she was so bad. I I think of some of the hearings on justices of the court and all kinds of other people. And uh, or today's cancel culture, that uh, is you know has permeated so much of the social media, and I, again, uh, you know we said this off air, but as as it's written in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter one, there's nothing new under the sun, and this
2: so this was it's something. the same playbook yeah. that they've been that they. It's, a, it's the same playbook they've been using for 100 years. And Bella Dodd, she said no comment to the reporter, but she noted, and she wrote about this in her memoirs. she said, you know, this is what I did when I was in the party. This is what I did to Hamilton Fish. This is what I did to Representative Rapp and Coderre. I did the same kind of character assassination, and now I'm getting it right back. So she spends the next three years really kind of despairing, depressed. She's worried about her life, because people like this had been killed. And, and a really pivotal moment. She's in Washington, D.C., visiting her congressman, McGrath, from New York, and this was 1951. And McGrath looked at her and said, Bella, you know, you, you look very troubled. Isn't there anything that I can do for you? And she said, you know, congressman, I've got both the KGB and the FBI <laughs> following me, right? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I don't know that there's anything that I could do, you could do. And he said, he said to her, Father Mitch, how about if I get you a priest? And from like the depth of her soul, she said, yes, yes. And so Congressman McGrath turned to his secretary, Rose, and, and, and said, Rose, could you get, could you get Monsignor Sheen on the phone from Catholic University? And she said, sure. So they called him up, and Sheen said, tell Dr. Dodd to come over to my house tonight, this evening. So she gets there to the house, knocks on the door, and she said, just like on TV. He opens the door. He's wearing his giant pectoral cross, looked like—just like he did on TV. And he said, Dr. Dodd, welcome. I'm so glad to see you. Come on in. And she said, if this had been the communists, her old comrades, the language would have been, you old bag, you betrayer, you old hag, you old Bolshevik, get out of here. But he brought her in, sat her down and said, I can see that you're troubled, that you're hurting. And she said, how did you know that? And he said, well, we priests are kind of like, like physicians of the soul. We could look at a patient and just tell if, if she's hurting. And she started to cry and he, and he put his hand on his shoulder and, and he said, there, there, it's okay, it's okay. And she started to sob. And she said, Father Mitch, about five minutes later, she doesn't remember how it happened. The next thing she knows, they're, they're in his private chapel, kneeling in front of the Blessed Sacrament and in front of a statue of the Blessed Mother. And, and, and he came to her and he said, here's a rosary. She took it in her hand. He said, I'm gonna be going to New York in the winter why don't you come up and see me and take instruction to come back into the Catholic Church? And she said she clutched that rosary all the way back to New York, and that's what she did. She she took instruction in the winter of 51-52, and she came into the church on April 7, 1952, at St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I'd like
0: to quote from her own book, *A uh, School of Darkness*, where she said. It was as if I had been ill for a long time and had awakened refreshed after the fever had gone. I seem to have acquired a new heart and a new conscience. And that would be so true because one of the big agendas of the communists and of their mortal enemies, the National Socialists, the Nazis... Was that there is no such thing as right and wrong? They pushed for having, you know, complete relativism, and as she came to God, she found a conscience and a heart, and this is uh, something that is extremely important. We only have a little bit of time. Did you have one last comment?
2: Well, yeah, if I may, so. 20 days after she comes into the, into the Catholic Church at St. Patrick's Cathedral, the New York Times of April 27, 1952, ran this on the front page. Um, Bishop Sheen in Rome says that red agents tried to infiltrate the priesthood. That's the title of the article. American communists were under secret orders in 1936 to infiltrate the Roman Catholic priesthood, Bishop Fulton Sheen said today. And he was speaking at the church of Santa Susanna in Rome. Right. He said in 1936, the wolves went into the forces which control public opinion. This was the beginning of planning of the forces of evil communism within the religious communities to destroy them from within, a call for volunteers to enter religious orders. And make the great sacrifices of a seminarian was made at a secret red meeting in a large American city. Well, Father Mitch, that, I think there's no coincidence that he's saying that later, right after right. she came in. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm afraid that we have to get going. We just have a few seconds left. I want to thank you for your book and for being with us. And may Almighty God bless you and all of our audience, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and again, it's called uh, the book is The Devil and Bella Dodd, one woman's struggle against communism and her redemption. Great read. Uh, I hope that you get a chance to get that from our religious catalog. Thank you all, and God bless you.